If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to grab one. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we are continuing to look through the season of Advent and what that looks like for us as what it looked like for those in the Old Testament who were anticipating and waiting for the arrival of the king. And now the king has come by way of the baby in the manger. And for us today, we are also anticipating the second arrival of the king. And what does that look like? That if the king is here, that the king has come, as we all who are believers would agree to, then his rule and reign is in effect in the current moment. So what does that look like for us as believers and how do we walk that out as uh, citizens, as Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, of the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus takes this prayer that we're about to look at and he's going to make a statement in here that we ought to examine for the next few moments and figure out what it means for Christ's kingdom which has already been established, for, but for it to continue to come, for it to continue to grow. So in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, I believe, we just saw on the screen, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us like John's taught, John taught his disciples. And in Matthew's account, which is a little bit more in detail, he reads this, and he says this to the disciples. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One more time, let us go before the Lord and pray over the reading of God's word. So Father, here we are. We thank you, God, that you have spoken to us through the word that brings us life, that brings sight to the blind, that brings life to those who are dead in their sins, and that it illuminates our hearts and it sharpens us and makes us more into the image of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that whenever we leave this room, we would all be able to collectively say, look how glorious our King is, and we would all say this prayer together our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as we've already discussed what Advent is in great detail, Advent is this anticipation is what it means. It is the waiting, the waiting or the arrival of the king as we have looked at. And now that his kingdom rule is on earth and in heaven, as we have found from Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus told his disciples, all authority has been given unto me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the king. We have to wrestle with what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom rule of God? What is this kingdom which is vastly different 
from any other man-made kingdom that has existed in the past and that will ever exist in the future. These earthly kingdoms have been under the sway of a lowercase s sovereign men who has existed and, and, and also have seen their decline. Uh, we can take just a cursory glimpse throughout history to see how these kingdoms have risen and how these kingdoms have inevitably declined. And I think through the Old Testament, we get two powerful, just two examples, powerful kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, or Assyria. And these kingdoms had dramatic influence and were once tremendous in power. But now, as we glimpse through history, they are just a footnote in history. And you can think through the past 2,000 years of kingdoms that have been built. I think of the Roman Empire, once was, had great influence throughout all of the world. But as we know, where is the Roman Empire now? Yet just relics exist, structures, most of whom are likely crumbling. And of course, the thing that they left us with is the language of Latin. And if I were to ask you to raise your hands, who is fluent in the language of Latin? I would venture to guess none of you. Prove me wrong after the service. Again, you think through all of these kingdoms over the past years, Russia, and all of the, the, the people and the royal families, those have since long gone behind us. Hitler's Third Reich, which was a um, disgrace of an entrance and also a disgrace in its decline. The British Empire, no longer there, no longer the ruler of the seas. And yet we now find America, the contemporary superpower of the earth. And yet as it trembles on the brink of collapse by way of a moral collapse. You see, the point in all of this is that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fade. But the kingdom of God has risen and the kingdom of God stands in vast contrast with any man-made kingdom in that it has no end. The kingdom and the word of the Lord, it has no end. Because Jesus' kingship and his kingdom is not something that we anticipate in the future. Many of your eschatologies would believe that. But then that would be at odds with Jesus' own words that again, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto him. And we see Jesus ruling and reigning at the highest cosmic realm of the cosmos. That he is on the right hand of the Father. And his reign is currently right now. Now in light of all of that, and that's by way of just information, or maybe not information, but reminder, because some of you didn't do well in history, I feel like one of the tasks of the preacher is 
reminding you of things that you have likely forgotten. Now, if you were to ask me to remind you of your math assignments in high school, I would tell you to buzz off because I almost failed high school in its entirety. That, by way of mentioning, should give many of you hope that why am on earth am I listening to this young lad? Because he has no sense at all. I don't know the answer to that, and so I, kept, I keep questioning myself every week, why do these people keep coming back? But here we are, you're listening, and so that's what we have to do, is to continue to listen to some of my non-polished pastor self. In light of this, we ask ourselves the question, what are we asking for if God's kingdom has been established, that if his rule and reign is current, and yes, there is also this consummation aspect to it. What are we asking is the question. For God, let your kingdom to come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can say that at the least we're asking God is for God's sovereign rule that it would be increased, be established in the hearts and minds of those who are believers and would be established in the hearts and minds of those who are hostile to him. In other words, as Calvin once wrote, that the kingdom of that the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. The task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. Now, when we pray, let your kingdom come. We are praying, God, let your church make the invisible kingdom visible to those around us. Now, again, this is in complete contrast to any worldview that's out there when we're asking for God, his kingdom to come and his kingdom to be made known more throughout all of the earth. It's, a, it's an interesting concept that the kingdom of God has rule and reign over every square inch of the cosmos. Because if we think about that in terms of man's idea, and I mean men loosely, humankind, all of us, we think of, we like to associate ourselves with our accomplishments, right? In other words, um, I am the one who has caused me to be at the point of my life that I am. And we would only say this if we were successful. For, for some of us as Americans, if we're not successful, well, it was someone else's fault. They're the reason why I am oppressed and I have not risen to the ladder. But if we're successful, the opposite is true. I am there. Look at my successes. Look at my accomplishments. Again, this is in contrast to a biblical idea. You think of the Psalms, uh, as I'm thinking of, of when Jesus said, in, or, or the word in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever pleases him. Again, for man, we are, are proud of our accomplishments and we essentially figure ourselves to be in charge and really to be in control of so much. And in reality, you are not in any control. I'll give you an example since some of you are asking, well, I don't believe you. That's not a question. Since some of you are saying, well, I don't believe you. Look none other to the story of Nebuchadnezzar found in Daniel chapter 4. 
Nebuchadnezzar, around verse 29 and verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar goes out into his courtyard area and he says, look, look at all of this that I built. Look at all of this. And he surveys the vastness and the grandeur of his kingdom. And he says, look, I built Babylon. I did this. Now we ought not to scoff at Nebuchadnezzar. Because this is how we respond in moments of greatness and achievements. Think about the presidents of the United States within the last 50 to 100 years. Anything that they think has been a major accomplishment, what do they want to do? Well, I want to slap my name on it so that the world will remember, look how great and glorious king, or I'm sorry, president, that was intentional. Because some of them think they're kings. Look how great it is. And so this, uh, this legislative accomplishment, I'll attach my name so that generations upon generations will remember the work that I did. Now, whether that was good work or bad work, all right, the foolish think that good is, that bad is good and good is bad. So that's up for you to decide. We are not just to judge the presidents, but think about you and your own life any accomplishment. Look how good I've done. Now, the story of Nebuchadnezzar is one of warning to us because it's quite interesting if you look at verse 31 in Daniel chapter 4, and you could just jot this down. As Nebuchadnezzar was speaking, the words were still on his lips. The brother man was still speaking, and God interrupts, and a voice comes down from heaven. This is what decreed for you. This is what is decreed for you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And then the word of the Lord comes to him. He says, you see those cows and dogs out there, out there grazing in the grass? Yeah, you'll be out there on your hands and knees. And we'll think who is the one who is the ultimate authority. Now, I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. But it's quite a bit of a little dose of humility, is it not? That for us and all of our great accomplishments that we think that we have achieved. And this man who has built an incredible empire. Or who thinks he has. As he is speaking. Basically God goes shut your mouth. I will remove all of this from you. And as he did. Removed it all from him. And so now I want to suggest to you. That when we think of terms of your kingdom come, I think of four words, all right? Four words, that was all by way of an introduction, and now I will give you four points. Boy, I sound like a Baptist this morning. If you're Baptist, I apologize. I don't mean any harm by that. It's just you guys are more organized than the rest of us. We should keep in mind these four things when we're praying, let your kingdom come. Conversion, submission, Reflection and consummation. Conversion, that's the first thing we ought to keep in mind. Submission, reflection, and consummation. So think about conversion. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're praying that men and women would be brought by new birth into the kingdom of heaven. And I think this is the way Jesus would have framed this for us, as he did frame this for us. You think back in John chapter 3, 
Think about what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, what am I missing? Right? Jesus is meeting Jesus out at nighttime and he's asking him the question, what am I missing? And Jesus looks at him and says, the way to the kingdom of God, and this is my paraphrase, the way to the kingdom of God isn't by adhering to the works of the law. As we know, Nicodemus could have had all the T's crossed and all of the I's dotted. Jesus says, by way of entering the kingdom of heaven is by what? New birth. It's not by just fancy rituals and adhering to those things. It's not by a way of like adhering to the law of God. Because the law of God is a reflection of how sinful we are. Jesus says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Born again. New birth. Again, Jesus gives us an example of how do I enter the kingdom of God? What does conversion into the kingdom of God look like? Jesus is like, let's use children as an illustration. And he sits the children in front of the room. And I'm sure the disciples are like, wait a minute, this is not good. Who invited these jokers to the party? And Jesus is like, hold your breath there, buddies. If anyone wants to enter the kingdom, they must enter the kingdom through like one of these kids. So in one sense, we enter the kingdom by new birth. And in the other sense, when we enter the kingdom, we are considered kingdom children. And this is the method of how God operates. Right? He's using these weird two examples it's not by calling out, let me get the best of the best and let him be the example of how you enter the kingdom. It's let me get the lowlies. Let me get the, the down and outs. And I, let me use these people as the example. This is how you get to the kingdom of God. And so if you've come in here this room this morning and you feel like you're the down and out and you feel like you're the least, the last, and the lost, you are the prime target for the conversion of Christ to enter into the kingdom of God. And so I think about the church that I pastored in Georgia. And I think about over the, the, the 10 or 11 years that I was there. And I think about all the addicts, all of the prostitutes, all of the people who entered into that building and encountered the saving grace of Jesus Christ, who were converted not by the basis of who they were, but, but because of who Christ was. They had no business in most facilities. In fact, most churches would turn these people down who entered into our building. But upon the moment of encountering Christ the King, God converted them and brought them into his kingdom. I think of one of my good friends who was blind and addicted to crack cocaine and who would wander the streets and wander on the road in his blindness, wishing for someone to take him out. But 
by the transformation of the Holy Spirit that brought him. And he may be physically blind, but he has better vision than most people I know because he sees clearly what the kingdom of God looks like. Why? Because God brought him from the domain of darkness into the marvelous light of the kingdom of God. And so when we pray, let your kingdom come, we are praying for the advancement of the saving grace of Jesus Christ to invade every area of our culture. And he may do that by ones and twos, but we know that the power of the Holy Spirit can do that by tens and hundreds and thousands, which means that Cedar City is nothing compared to what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in the realms of conversion. So when we pray, God, let your kingdom come, we're praying, God, bring about conversion. We're also praying, when we pray, let your kingdom come, we're praying for submission. Submission. And when you think of a kingdom rule, you have a king. Now, again, I, you know, I have to say this because we as Americans have a trouble with this idea of there being a king, right? We fought against that, and so we don't want that to be our ruling government. But it is our greatest need that we have. And it's not a man, but it is the king of kings that we need. And so when you think about this in terms, what does a kingdom look like? Well, you have a king, and underneath the king, you have subjects, and they do the work of the king. Again, I got to just press, not just on you, but on me, that kicks me in my own shins. I'm not a, a subject. I'm a pawn. Right? I mean, you just think about this terminology and this, this language of kingdom. And that, that jostles some of us, doesn't it? Wait, I've got to submit to a ruling authority? Wait a minute. I'm not the ruling authority of my own life? And I know that comes to as a big shock to some of us. But there is only one king that does not share his throne with anybody. And we are subjected to his kingdom, which means we are submitted to, we have been transformed by his grace, and we are being increasingly conformed to the image of his son. And so here's what this means, that the king has taken authority and he has taken up residence in our life. You see, the world cannot change unless first we become changed. As those who have been subjected to, his, to the kingdom of God. And the ministry of the spirit of God and the life of the child of God is to establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of his people. Every dimension. So that our hearts will stand in the totality of our being, our emotions, our, our intellect, our wills, our finances, our, everything that we do is under the subjection and submission of the king. That the king has taken ownership of our own lives. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity, he puts it like this. 
If you haven't read Mere Christianity, I would encourage you to do so. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roofs and so on. You know that those jobs needed to be done. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? C.S. Lewis asks. The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up the towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. Lewis says, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in himself. That's what it means when you are subjected to the kingship of Jesus Christ. When you are submitted to him, that the king comes into your life and he knocks down the walls of your heart and he rebuilds not a shack, but a palace that he can dwell in. And so we go on from this idea that we are living in submission to him, which leads to what does this look like to be submitted to him? Well, it is a reflection of the kingdom, a reflection of the king. So we're praying, let your kingdom come, let there be conversion, let there be salvation, and let there be in my life submission to the king and what that submission looks like when I pray, let your kingdom come, let me be a reflection of the kingdom and of the king. And we do that by living in such a way that we're bearing witness to the reality of the kingship of Jesus by way of our jobs, by way of our families and our schools and our checkbooks and every sphere that we live in. And this is also known as holiness, right? Quite sure some of you have never heard of that word. But it is holiness that is what we are after. Holiness. Think about that. I'm not saying that we are to be holier than thou people with a scurl, with a, a just kind of a look of shame upon other people who aren't as astute and holy as we are. No, we are in this process of becoming more looking like Jesus, the King, because it's a reflection of his holiness. Isn't that what Peter said? He said, you are a what? A holy people, a holy priesthood. That's who we are. And that's what we reflect. It's an attribute in which every other attribute of the holy God flows. God's holiness, right? It is, it is why in the, in the Bible, he is holy, holy, holy. Do you ever see him being love, love, love? You ever read that verse? He is love. But there's not another attribute of God that is declared in repetition like that of his holiness. 
He is holy, holy, holy. And the reason why, and I would, I would suggest this is just my opinion, because all the other attributes, they flow from this one single attribute, and that is by way of the holiness of God. And when we're praying, God, let me be a reflection we're praying that we would be a reflection of his holiness. Of his holiness. Aren't we tired of seeing unjust things taking place in the world? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're that kind of weird, kind of sick-minded person. You likely need therapy. But for the most part of this room, I would suggest, and for the most part of humanity, like we're tired of injustice. We're tired of unjust things taking place. Well, there's a solution, and it's justice. Now, I notice what I did not say. I did not say that the solution to all of the world's problems is social justice. Social justice is the religion of our culture today. Now, social justice asks the right questions. Why is there inequities? Why is there crime? Why is there things that aren't fair? Why is there child trafficking? It asks the right questions, but it provides the wrong solutions. Its solutions are man-made. Its solutions are, well, you're the problem and they're not the problem. And, and we should seek to take from you and give from other people. It is an idea birthed out of Marxism. Which he was a crazy guy, by the way, of mentioning. The correct solution to the dilemma that we face is for the church to be a reflection of a holy God. Now listen, and out of that holiness is what? Grace, mercy, justice, forgiveness, love, truth. And it's also the courage to be about the righteousness of our living God. Do we want to see all the things made right in the world? Well, here's what it's going to take. It's going to take a church that is reflecting the kingdom of God. It is a church making the invisible kingdom visible. Lastly, consummation. And I'm almost done. And when you think of consummation, you may think of it in terms of a marriage, that when a marriage is consummated by an act, there are children in here, so I'll refrain from what that act is. You all are sensible people, and you can figure it out on your own time. Consummation, you think of completeness. It is the completion of his kingdom. One of our greatest challenges of this idea, then, is that we are in the kingdom of God now, and not yet, that there are two dimensions of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that is here and the kingdom of God that is not yet. And as much as we strive for conversion, as much as we strive for submission, as much as we strive to be the reflection of the kingdom, we look for the day, our advent, when God will finally usher in the kingdom of God in its completeness, in its totality. When all will be made right. 
where, where death is no more, where sin is no more, when every enemy of God has finally been put under the footstool of our King Jesus. And what is this? This consummation. Well, this is the inevitable return of Jesus Christ. Then the question is posed for some of you asking this right now. Well, what is that? Well, it's the coming of our Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, you'll have to find out next week. I'm not going to get into that this week. Don't. We're out of time. Real quickly, just by way of application for some of us this morning. Conversion, submission, and reflection. Conversion. Think about this real quick, just in your own life. Who is someone in your life that needs the radical transformation of Jesus Christ? You know someone. Who is someone in your life that needs the radical conversion of Christ our Lord that is dead in their sins and needs to be brought alive by the power of the gospel of Christ? And by the way, that's, that's, that's you. You're the one who's proclaiming it. And that doesn't mean you have to be a scholar. doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. doesn't mean you have to be a theologian or, or have everything down like to a T. Like, man, I've memorized the whole Bible. That doesn't mean any of that. In fact, it could just simply start with a conversation that ends in. Have I, have I told you what happened to me? Have I told you that I was lost? Have I told you that I was in shame? Have I told you that I was in guilt? And there was someone... Someone much higher than me. His name is King Jesus, who rescued me, who saved me from the domain of darkness. And now I live a life of freedom, and I have hope for eternity. What about sub, um, submission? Is there area in your life that you have not submitted to the rule of King Jesus? Is there a sin? Is there something that you need to, that you have said, I've clenched my fist on this particular thing because I do not want to give it to Jesus. I don't want to submit it to him. Perhaps you're here this morning and these words are like a hammer chiseling away at your fist. Open your hands. Submit it to God. Submit it to God. And what about reflection? Are you living in such a way that bears witness to the reality of Christ? And so that when, when you leave a room, somebody says, there's something different about that guy. There's something different about her. They're operating in a totally different realm here. And how is this all possible? Because they are citizens of the kingdom of of God. We are part of a kingdom that will not end with people from all over the earth. And our job as we pray, let your kingdom come is for that to grow and expand through the nations. The late R.C. Sproul in his book, The Prayer of the Lord, recounts a story in 1990 
when he was invited to Eastern Europe to go and give a series of lectures, and he was with a team, and they were first in Czechoslovak, you know that place, Hungary. I can tell you this, I practiced that at least seven times. In all seven times, you would have thought I was some very smart person until I got up here and I looked like one of those bumbling morons that I told you and warned you about at the beginning of this. Zhek. Romania. And before Romania, Hungary. Now, before they arrived in, in Romania, they were warned that the guards on the border were pretty hostile people. In fact, they, they warned Sproul and his team that you will likely be arrested and taken in and all of your belongings will be taken away from you. And at the risk of, we're here for the kingdom of God, we're here to pronounce the kingdom message, we're going on. And so his rickety train arrived on the border of Romania and there were two guards who did not speak English. And so they, they looked at these knowingly Americans and they began to argue with them in their native language. And they pointed out to them, they pointed out to these people and they grabbed their luggage and they pointed out to the luggage and they told them, open up the luggage. They grabbed their passports and then their boss appeared, this burly Romanian guy who spoke broken English. And he looked at the young lady that was with Dr. Sproul, and she was holding a paper bag. In it, a paper bag was the Bible poking out of it. And he pointed at the Bible, and he said, give me the book. And this burly, scary, creepy Romanian grabbed this book. Sproul recounts in, his, in this telling of the story. He goes, oh, no. We're in trouble. That's likely the most underestimated thing that he could have said. He opened up the bag. He pulls out the Bible. And looking over the pages very rapidly, he stops and he points to his scripture. And he hands it back to Sproul. And he says to Sproul, read it out loud. And Sproul read the words of Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 20. That says, our citizenship is in heaven. And this chief looked at his other guards and he says, leave them alone. They're one of us. And he looked at Sproul and he said, you're not American. And he looked at the young lady with the Bible. He said, you're not American. And he pointed to himself and he says, and I, I am not Romanian. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And they let them go. You see, that is what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is not in America. It is not from wherever country, from whatever state or town you are from. You are first and foremost a part of a kingdom that has no end. And a part of a kingdom that has been established here and now. And when I pray, let your kingdom come. I am praying for the advancement of his kingdom rule in all spheres of life. Let's pray.